1: Than I ever did. You had some heavy hitters uh, guests on too, man. So keep up the good work. But it's good to be with you, and I'm ready to talk sports. Hello, everybody, and welcome into Sports Talk Chicago. My name's John Zaglou. Great to have you here. On today's edition of the program, the Bears have been more active in free agency. We'll break it all down in just a second. Plus, a brand-new interview today with Mark and Greco, the former lead sports anchor, ABC7 Chicago. Talk with him about some Bears and Bills football and so much more. It's a great interview, and it comes your way near the midway point of this show. Remember, you can follow me on Twitter and Instagram at John Z Sports and on Facebook, John Zaglue. If you want to watch more of this show, search up Sports Talk Chicago, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, YouTube, sportstalkchicago.com. I want to start today with this familiarity. The NFL is pretty underrated. You're able as a player to go to a team that you're familiar with, a system that you're familiar with. You're gonna thrive. It's gonna be a mutually beneficial signing. Now we forget about this all the time when players hop from team to team. About learning a new offense, a new defense, a new scheme. It's not easy. Look at Jay Cutler here in Chicago. How many offensive coordinators did he go through? With the Bears, and many people wonder why he never found a rhythm. It's not easy, even for veterans. There needs to be some sort of familiarity, some sort of comfortability. Look at Mitch Trubisky, look at Justin Fields last year, even. No comfortability, and in a system from Matt Nagy, in which you had to conform to him, not the other way around. Down here, we forget about it, it's underrated, nobody talks about it, but for the player's experience, For their performance, even a lot depends on the system you're in. So, when you find a team as a player that has your system, you could conform to it easily, you're familiar with it, you will produce. And you may even exceed what the market thought you would do. The Bears recently signed a new linebacker, Al Khadin Mohammed, from. Indianapolis Colts. Sound familiar? Well, Matt Eberflus was his defensive coordinator. I thought this was a great signing from Ryan Poles, and for Eberfluss' sake, Muhammad last year, career season, started all 17 games for the first time in his career. Six sacks, 48 tackles. Talked about this a lot when it came to the Bears' signings. They've been shrewd. They've been short money, short deals, and... Frankly, I think they've been great. I mean, the wide receiver stuff is different. I think they've totally bungled that part of it. But defensively, the Bears have done exactly what they've needed to do. This was another great signing. Muhammad knows Matt Eberflus knows his system. And even though Eberflus may not be calling plays defensively, you'd have to think there's some familiarity with the scheme that the Bears are going to be using for free. And Muhammad last year, really a career year. I mean, he's been around the NFL since 2017, but only last year did he start every game. Just the year before, never started What? actually. Last year, first opportunity to start every game, and look what he done: Six sacks, 48 tackles. I love it. Now, look, it's not going to be some headline-making signing. We're not all going to freak out about it, but... Are the Bears in the business of winning next year? We've talked about this a number of times already. They're not. All the signings they've made, both offensively and defensively, are short-term, low-money deals. They're trying to get through 2022 at this point. They're not even looking to 2023, 2024 when it comes to signing players and keeping them around. All these players, for the most part, they've signed, are just for next year to sustain them. That's it. You you think about the past, a lot of signings the Bears have done, like think about at the beginning of the Ryan Pace era, the players who were there in Chicago, they all left pretty quickly once 2018 came around, and they were ready to contend. The personnel look completely different from 2017 to 2018. Same with this year. It's going to look much different this season than last year, two years ago, when they made the playoffs. The Bears are switching their focus. And all these signings indicate Look, I'm still not happy with the wide receiver position. And I feel like the Bears are going to address that in the draft. Hopefully, the guys they signed are being touted for no reason. But, defensively, but the Bears had needs getting rid of Khalil Mack, releasing Danny Trevathan, and a lot of guys who just left. The Bears did a good job at finding replacements that did not cost a lot of money. Ogan Joby would have been a great replacement for Khalil Mack. I talked about it if he didn't bounce physical. But here's another good replacement on the linebacking and defensive end core in Muhammad. He can play both spots. Well, look, all take 17 games, 17 starts, meaning not injury prone. And even in the past, he's played every game, just hasn't started. Three straight years of appearing in every single game. Last year started every single game. So you're getting somebody who's reliable, never gets hurt, or rarely does. On top of it, showed off a lot of growth last year. Then, to make it better, he knows Matt Iberflues. Played under him for his whole career, pretty much. This was a solid move, and you'd have to think Iberflues himself had a role in recruiting Muhammad to come here. This is one of those signings where everybody could be praised. Really. I I mean, there's no negative or downside in doing this. Again, small money, small length of contract. And it shows a significance when you have your own head coach and GM working together to recruit players like they did here. And he's a good player. And he's just about to peak right now. He's peaking as we speak. Last year was a great year for him. Now the Bears bring him in on a budget deal. Gets to play here in Chicago. Could replace, potentially, Khalil Mack. Not bad. I'll take it all day. And best of all, familiarity familiarity. He understands. He knows Matt Eberfluss. Played for him his whole career. He knows what Eberfluss expects out of him and also what his defense may look like or what the Bears' defense and their scheme may look like. This was a great signing. I have nothing but praise for this. Hopefully the Bears could find more people, actually, from the Colts. I mean it. I mean, there's nothing wrong in finding guys who know your system. Even if they aren't the biggest names, you know what? Colts' defense was all right. They were top ten. Take it all day. I know last year was a bit of an aberration. Two years ago, though, they were great. Last year, they were about middle of the pack. But obviously, Muhammad, despite being middle of the pack, overall as a team, he did great. He did very well. Career year. Great move by the Bears. Little money. Little commitment. And he plays somewhere where he's familiar. That makes a big difference. Knowledge familiarity matters, and the NFL may not seem like it, right? A lot of these guys are world-class athletes. They know how to conform quickly to a system. But I will say this, and we all know this here in Chicago. Look at what Matt Nagy did to both Justin Fields and Mitch Trubisky. More so Fields last year, actually. When you have a coach who has ego problems, and he's telling you, you got to conform to my system, well, it would help if you knew the system. Matt Eberflus doesn't seem like an ego-type guy, but still, regardless, there will be some sort of his system in the defense. You sign somebody who knows it, well, he already has a leg up on everybody else on the team. So that's great news. I want to comment on this, too. There's been a video circulating of Brian Pauls from his press conference talking about his plan. Now, I came out last week, and I certainly wasn't happy with the Joby mishap wasn't even happy with the wide-receiving signings the Bears had. But I can't really fault Ryan Poles for it. I'll explain why here. Poles said, frankly, in this press conference video, they want to build through the draft. And candidly, when you look at all these signings the Bears have accomplished, and when you look at the guys they let go, he isn't really lying. He's been pretty open, outright, and transparent as to what he thinks the Bears will do and the direction of the organization. We see it here in this press conference video. The thing I didn't like about their signings at wide receiver is that they were touted for no reason. St. Brown from the Packers is literally a WR5. So don't tell me he's some deep threat or he might do well in this offense. He may not even play. To be honest, if the Bears could draft somebody, draft a couple of guys, he may never see the field got daz newsome too i'd rather daz newsome get a shot over this guy with 98 receiving yards last year with aaron Rodgers. the same with pringle pringle is a wr3 wr4 in kansas city and although he had a career year last year career year meaning 600 yards who cares it doesn't necessarily mean he's just going to be great here in chicago oh but you didn't watch the tape on him i've seen him play first and foremost, and secondly, even with the tape, you can see great things on the tape. It doesn't necessarily mean it translated to results. Look at his numbers. His tape might look great, but the numbers don't lie either. 600 receiving yards, sorry. That is WR3 production at best. At best, certainly not a number two wide receiver. And I saw people comparing him to Allen Robinson. Way different story. Allen Robinson was purposefully sabotaged. That's been documented. That's been documented. We've known about that for years now. From 2020, we knew that was happening. This is different. Can't compare the numbers on both of them when there is an extenuating circumstance for Robinson and for his production and his spot on the team. Pringle didn't have any of that. He was a nobody in KC. They had Tyreek Hill. Everybody else was just plug-and-play, wide receiver-wise. He happened to put up 600 yards. Great. And the Bears did not pay him a lot of money, to their credit. They did not pay him a lot of money, nor sign up for a lot of years. I'm happy with that part of it. But this idea that he's going to be a solid number two or potentially be a number one, 1A, 1B with Darnell Mooney, for 600-yard wide receiver, that's ridiculous. That's like Christian Kirk and the Jaguars all over again. Man, <laughs> Christian Kirk, wide receiver one money, claiming he's your wide receiver one when he's never had a 1,000-yard season. Pringle is in that same boat. I'm not going to proclaim that Pringle's a number two or even a 1A, 1B when he has numbers that suggest WR3 at best. Here's what it all goes back to, though. Ryan Paul said in his press conference we're going to build through the draft, and to his credit, even though I lit him up a little bit last week, to his credit, he's following through on his promise. We have to wait until the draft. And that's simply it, and that's fine by me, especially. I want to see what he does in the draft, because look back at Ryan Pace and what he did. There were a lot of flops, a lot of good things in the late rounds, but a lot of big flops, starting with Kevin White, first ever pick. Totally screwed that one up. Like Poles, wanted a wide receiver, drafted one, didn't work. Kevin White did nothing in the NFL period. But based on these signings, based on who they have, as part of their wide receiving core, it's obvious they need the draft. I'm giving Poles right now some leeway. Really, I am. I mean, I have not been too critical of him compared to other people. Trying to be as fair as I could be, Some of the signings have not made any sense. And not even that, some of the signings have been hyped up too much to where the signings make sense, but the hype is out of this world ridiculous. The Pringle and St. Brown hype is just stupid. We're talking about WR3 and WR5s, and Bears fans and Bears media are making them out to be WR1s or twos. No. How can I call a guy with 98 receiving yards in a season, which is a career high, a WR3? No. He's your fifth guy on your depth chart. And if the Bears go out and draft somebody, he may never play. Remember, he was already paid his guaranteed money with the signing bonus. So he could very much be cut by opening day. But I do like, for polls at least, the defensive signings. And the overall signings have been low money, low years. That's great. But the draft is going to make the biggest difference in the world for him. And for how you're going to judge his offseason, Again, it's obvious the Bears need to develop Justin Fields. They need to build around him. That was promised, too, by Poles and by Eber Plus as well. And it was shown symbolically at the press conference. They brought out Fields. They said he's going to be the guy. Then build around him. This is where the draft's going to come in handy. If they do not do that, if they do not draft a lot of offensive linemen and wide receivers in this draft, then you know something's up, and there's a problem. Because even if you bring in a new offensive coordinator, which is great, I'm so happy about that, but still, if there's nobody to protect him and nobody to throw the ball to, you will not succeed as a quarterback. It doesn't matter what team you're on. So Ryan Pulse has some work to do. And I would hope that they draft good wide receivers. The top three wide receiving prospects out there, including Olave, much better and who the Bears signed in free agency. Yes, even Pringle. You know what, I'd rather have somebody who has not done anything in the NFL and has sky-high potential, potential first-round talent, than somebody who has 500 yards one year in Kansas City's offense with Patrick Mahomes as his quarterback. I'd love to see Pringle replicate or exceed those stats in a developing system with Justin Fields. It's not going to happen. Really, is it? Darnell Mooney's going to be the preferred target, which is fine. He might get another 1,000 yards. What about after him? Last year was Allen Robinson who was second. Whether he was sabotaged or not, the fact is he didn't get many yards. Then who? Demir Bird? I mean, come on here. I don't care what his tape looks like either. I really don't because Pringle will not replicate what he did in KC in a new system with a brand-new quarterback who's essentially a rookie. This is going to be Justin Fields' first year taking first-team reps. This is going to be Justin Fields' first year as the presumed number one starter. I treat this like his rookie year. I really do. This is Justin Fields' rookie year. For the first time, he'll be the number one guy. Everybody knows it. Consensus number one. No issues, no competition. This is where we see what he's made of. And I hope for the best. But still, there are going to be growing pains. Another new offense, new look, new feel for this team. I don't expect Pringle to replicate what he did in KC. I expect Fields to improve, but by how much, we don't know either. And it's all dependent on the draft at this point. Obviously, in free agency, the Bears did not prioritize wide receiver. And not too much on the O-line either. They're banking on the draft, like Ryan Poole said, and that's fine but make sure you get this right for field's sake. And don't hype up who they got. These are journeymen. Sorry, they are. St. Brown is a career high 98 receiving yards last year. Don't tell me. He's a WR3. He's a 5 at best. He may not even be on the team come September. You Have to look at this realistically here. Even when we talk about tape, Tape is very helpful, but you know what? What about the situation, too? Let's look at the context of that tape. Let's look at the context of the tape. Hey, when you're playing for KC, Patrick Mahomes is your quarterback, Andy Reid's your play caller, yes, you're going to have 600 receiving yards easily. What about here? What about with the rookie quarterback? Brand new offense, and no guarantee that you will be the number two. If the Bears draft a top-wide receiving prospect, they automatically should be the number two, and Pringle should be relegated to three. Just got to keep all this stuff in mind when we talk about breaking down good or bad signings, how they're going to pan out, and what they'll do here in Chicago. Everything has context. You can't just look at tape and say, he's good, he's bad. No, because in the right system, with a good coach, with proper coaching, that tape could get better or worse. And numbers could get better or worse. Production. That's how you have to look at this. When it comes to Pringle, when it comes to anybody, even the defensive signings, the Bears had too. I'm happy about them. I like them. But how are they going to do in a new system with a new team and a new feel? But I'm very optimistic about Muhammad because, again, he knows Matt Eberflus. He knows the program and how it works under Matt Plus, too. I also want to say this. I've been pretty down the middle about Justin Fields. I've not hopped on the hype train. I don't think I've been too critical. I want to see results, of course. I will say this, though. The Bears did a good job in drafting him last year. Look at the quarterback carousel we see today. So imagine if the Bears drafted somebody else. Or, conversely, if the Bears went after somebody else. Because we knew Mitch Trubisky was not coming back. We all knew that. Well, look where they would be this year. Look at all these quarterbacks changing teams. No stability. I mean, Deshaun Watson, we don't even know if he's going to play this year. Matt Ryan's gone to Indianapolis. Carson Wentz to the Commanders. There's been a lot of movement with guys. Some teams today still may not even have a quarterback. The the Falcons picked Marcus Mariota to replace their franchise QB. And they traded Matt Ryan for a third-round pick. Think about that. Matt Ryan may end up being a Hall of Fame quarterback. He's an MVP winner, and he's not bad at all. Probably top 10, top 15 QB. He was traded for a third-round pick, and the replacement is Marcus Mariota. (laughs) That's the replacement. Imagine if the Bears were in that situation this year. They didn't draft Justin Fields. Imagine having Andy Dalton to be the real starter, having him maybe take the Bears to a 500 record, 8-9, eight, nine, nine, 8 maybe a playoff appearance, a fringe team. And then being in this situation where you have no quarterback, this quarterback class is weak coming up, who are you going to go after? Not going to take Mitch back. Going to get Carson Wentz maybe, Matt Ryan. I mean, these are not futuristic names. Justin Fields could be your quarterback for 15 to 20 years and a franchise guy. These guys, you know who you're getting. You know what you're getting out of them. Oh, it's just interesting to note that even though at the time I wasn't happy the Bears traded up again and lost a first-round pick, might have been the best decision they made. I like Matt Ryan. I like Carson Wentz. They're productive in the NFL, but how long will they last, and will they take you to a Super Bowl? Matt Ryan will, but will Carson Wentz? I love Carson Wentz. I'm a huge fan. Never turns the ball over. Good passer rating. Puts up some good yards, lots of touchdowns, 27 touchdowns, seven picks. I'll take it all day long. But will he win in a big game? Will he lead you to a Super Bowl? Probably not. And if the Bears were stuck with him or Andy Dalton for year two, whatever it might have been, it would not have worked out in the best way for this organization moving forward. They would have been stuck with some veteran quarterback, would have been respectable to say the least, but not a Super Bowl would have been in the middle of the pack every year fighting for a wild card spot and getting eliminated round one. I'll give Brian Pace credit for that. I'm gonna give him credit for the fact that Nick Foles made a three million dollar roster bonus last week. But I'll give him credit for the fact that today the Bears have somewhat of a franchise quarterback that they can try and build around and help. And it's up to Fields to perform. But you know what? I'd rather take the risk and roll the dice and bring in somebody where you know it's gonna be nine and eight. I'd rather even be a bottom feeder for a year or two than know you're going to be at the top than always be 9-8 and 8 for three straight years. Look at the Dolphins. Dolphins every single year. 9-8 before the 17-game schedule. 8-8, 10-6, 6-10, 9-7. For years, they've been mired in mediocrity or pretty much level play, average play. They've made the playoffs. They've lost. They've gone through a number of head coaches. Tony Sperano, Adam Gase, Brian Flores, different quarterbacks, too. I mean, we think back to the early 2000s, even. You know, Chad Pennington, right? They've gone through a lot of guys Chad Henney, Tua, Brian Tannehill. I would not want to be that organization. I would not want to be in that position. So, to the Bears' credit, they did a good job in at least rolling the dice and thinking of something. They have a young quarterback prospect who is somewhat well-regarded and has the potential to do something in the NFL. We don't know what yet. We don't know how great he's going to be, but there's potential. I'd rather have potential than be a middle-of-the-pack team every year fighting for a wild-card spot than getting eliminated. There's no progress there. There's no way to measure growth. You're stuck in the middle. If I were the Bears, I wouldn't really like that either. So kudos, I guess, to Ryan Pace. There's one good thing he's done. But then again, he's in Atlanta now, and look what happened. No more Matt Ryan. Bring on in Marcus Mariota. So that's guess Ryan Pace is back to his old antics, too. More to come here on Sports Talk Chicago, my interview with Mark and comes up next, so stay tuned. Chicago. And with John Zick and we are back and ready for today's special guest. He's the former lead sports anchor at ABC7 Chicago, and the host of a very Chicago New Year on NBC Five. Please welcome Mark G and Greco to the program. Mark, it's great to have you on again. How are you?
0: John, I am great. It's always great to be with you. So let's just hit on everything you want. I'm anxious to get into it.
1: How was the New Year's show? First off.
0: You know, it was really fun. My TV wife, Janet Davies, of course, uh <laughs> really wanted to do this and uh, channel five reached out, which was awesome. And I'm always looking for an opportunity to uh, tweak channel seven. So this was the absolute perfect vehicle. And we didn't want to step on, the people were already there, um, the hosts and so forth. So we, uh, Courtney and, um, and um, oh my gosh, I'm so sorry. Um, Sam, but we, We wanted to just jump in and do little vignettes in and out of commercials and so forth. And it worked out well. We just, you know, we never had a script. We always ad lib everything. uh, And we just kind of come up with bits. So we taped it in the Lowe's Hotel across the street from the NBC Tower. It was pre-taped. We did it about a week before New Year's. And they just inserted our little bits. We're in bed in our pajamas, you know, with, uh, with all kinds of food. And then we would have special guests Who were in all our New Year's Eve shows during the Channel Seven Days. They would come into the room and we'd be celebrating and do little bits with them. Uh so we had a lot of fun. We had we had a lot of fun doing.
1: So everything's outlip between you and Janet. Everything.
0: Oh, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Totally. Um the people who are producing the show, I had worked with Ryan McGuffey because he's a sports producer. You know, he's he's so great. And then the other people who were involved were more on the news side and management side, and they were looking for scripts and, you know, looking for a little more structure. And we said, yeah, we kind of let it rip. And they were all for it, and I, I think it turned out great.
1: What makes the chemistry between you and Janet Davies so special?
0: Well, you know, we almost worked together back in Dayton, Ohio. She was in Cincinnati. I was in Dayton, and she was offered a job. To come to Dayton, even though it's a smaller market, it would have been a bigger job for her. Uh, we go way, way back. We're both really, really old school TV people. And she's, you know, she is such the consummate pro. You know, her background is song, dance, theater, uh, you know, plays, movies, and things like that. And then she became the movie theater critic for Channel 7, as well as doing all kinds of, you know, food stuff and and entertainment. She's so versatile. So we've been friends for 40 years and, um, you know, it's easy to have chemistry when you've known somebody that long.
1: What's the best moment you guys have shared together on air?
0: Well, I don't think it's the one where I licked her face. Uh, that, (laughs) I think it was the Chinese year of the dog. Uh, that didn't go over too well. (laughs) And of course she never saw that coming at all. Um, I would say we got teary eyed a few years. Um, And what I didn't know, the last show we did at Channel 7, I had no idea that they also had told her that they were gonna let her go. And she did that show knowing that, knowing it was going to be her last. And she didn't really break down and tell me until after, because once again, she's such a professional. We had a great show. It was during the pandemic and we made the most of it. We were alone in the studio with just some um, tech people around, but we managed to really party and really put it together. And make it look like a festive New Year's Eve show, as always. So we stay in touch all the time. She's living over in her her beautiful farmhouse in Michigan now, living the good life.
1: You guys think you'll do it again this year?
0: I don't think so. That was a one-off. You know, that was just a fun thing. And again, to just tweak Channel 7 a little bit and stick it to them, um, because obviously I'm never, ever going to forgive or forget how I was run out of there the way they ran me out, and especially by whom. But I can live in a parallel world. I'm so glad to be out. Uh, Freedom is great. Again, I was the luckiest guy in the world to work in television news when it counted, when it mattered. It was the golden age. Uh, everybody made a lot of money. Everybody had a lot of fun. It was super competitive. You know, it was carte blanche. We traveled everywhere. We covered everything. Uh, now, you know, obviously with the internet, the social media, and everything else, Local television news has taken a beating. Uh, it's it's all but dead, relatively speaking, and people are unfortunately just trying to hang on. The demographic is very old. And, of course, advertisers don't want an elderly demo. But, you know, I, I root for all my true friends who are still in the business, and I want them to be able to continue as long as they need to.
1: Mark Greco here on Sports Talk Chicago. Mark, what was your reaction to the Bears' hirings at head coach and GM?
0: You know, um, remember how excited we were for the other Ryan and Matt and we were all jacked up and Matt Nagy was the young offensive genius. And, you know, Ryan Pace was this cool dude from New Orleans who was going to prove himself. And that turned out to be an unmitigated disaster. So I think everybody wanted to be excited, but of course it was tempered. Hey, look, um, Eberflus, the guy, you know, he, he tried to be funny and his Introductory news conference. It didn't go over that well, but he seems like a really personable, good dude who wants to um, ingratiate himself to the media. And I think he's a good communicator. You know, you saw a lot of video of him as an assistant at various jobs, and he seemed to connect with the players. You know, Ryan Paul's young guy. Uh, I think he won everybody over right away with the uh, Larry Ogan Joby mishap. You know, he wanted this great defensive tackle, everything looked great. The guy winds up failing his physical. And then everybody on Twitter blows up saying, how could you not know this? What a misstep. God, that's a really bad first outing. Well, he went out of his way to publish this lengthy statement and post it explaining exactly how that works. You can't send your team doctors to every single player in the country that you're interested in and have them take a physical and blah, blah, blah and everything else. This is the process. They vetted it. He flunked the physical. That's how you cancel a deal. And, um, you know, his foot hadn't healed from his injury. Quickly, he moves on and grabs Justin Jones from the Chargers. Less money, less talent, not the same kind of player, but he scrambled and made up for that misfortunate happening right away. So I have to give him kudos on that. Of course, you know, being a former media guy, I, I posted on social media and, and took a lot of heat for it. I said, you know, the statement's great. That's really nice, but fans don't read lengthy statements. It would have been nice if he would have held a news conference, faced the media, faced the fans, gone on camera and explained it that way. Cause I know all the beat writers are anxious for him to interact with them because of course, Ryan Pace was the absolute worst. He'd speak to reporters once a year before training camp. You never saw him again. He hid in his little cave, and and you never saw or heard from him. So I'm encouraged, but you have to take it with a grain of salt and temper it. What do
1: you make of the Khalil Mack train, too? That was, was pretty much first big move that he made as GM.
0: You know, I think Khalil Mack was always a rental player. I don't think anybody expected him to finish his career here. It's unfortunate that he's been playing injured really the past two of his four years um he's on the downside of his career for sure i think it was a move that had to be made now watch him explode with bosa and the chargers i mean that's a heck of a pass rush um and i hope he's 100 percent. and i hope he performs for them the way he did when he first got here um it was funny when he said goodbye trying to ingratiate himself to the fans saying always a bear well i don't know i always think of you as a raider and you're here <laughs> for a brief time and who knows where you'll be when you retire but Cool dude. He was great to us. Uh, players loved him. Coaches loved him. Uh, but it, it was a move that had to be made, and, and I don't think even the most casual fan was outraged. I think they understood what was going on.
1: How did you evaluate Justin Fields' rookie year, too?
0: Okay, I'm glad you got to this because, once again, I'm an outlier. Uh, for whatever reason, John, uh, this is pure vibe. I have nothing to back this up and a lot of people look at my comments and say, what is wrong with you? Obviously he's multi-talented. He is so gifted physically. That one reverse run on a broken play said it all. That was his signature play of his rookie year. Uh, Having said that, he has got the longest, slowest looping delivery. He needs to get the ball out a lot quicker. And one of the issues with most rookie quarterbacks is he cannot read defenses really needs to get much better at that. But everyone expects that year two, that will automatically happen. He, he, can, he can run like the wind, he's got a rocket arm, he's just gotta tighten things up. The thing that really bothers me is, every time they would cut to him on the sidelines while the defense was on the field, he's never in his iPad, he's never talking to another coach, he's never talking to another player. He's just kind of sitting by himself, staring off into the wilderness, and his vibe, to me, is like he's too cool for school. Now, I surmise that maybe, maybe, and again, this is me speculating, just as a fan, maybe he learned early on that Mad Nagy was fraud, and this was going nowhere, and the coaching staff was horrible, and that he was just going to, eh, whatever. You remember his statement when he talked about the quarterback group, and how he learned so much from his backup quarterbacks, not so much from Matt Nagy. And they contradicted one another all the time. So he just said, I'm gonna just go with Nick Foles. I'm not even gonna listen to Nagy uh, when it was time for advice. So I think he wrote them off early. And you know, now that there's a whole new regime, maybe we'll see kind of a different attitude. He doesn't need to be a rah-rah cheerleader, but I'd like to see a little more energy when interacting on the sidelines. I mean, maybe that's so far off and stupid to even bring up, but, you know, I've said a lot of stupid things in my career.
1: (laughs) How do you expect him to improve with Luke Getzey as the offensive coordinator?
0: Well, I think they'll mesh right away. And I think, you know, they're specifically tailoring this offense for him now, whereas Nagy learned it one way from Andy Reid and tried to plug in all these misfitting parts and tried to make it work. And then we have all this, Uh, backstory coming out about how he would lie to players. He was very two-faced. He, you know, uh, something you'd never expect from him because he seemed like such a personable guy. But I think you realized it and so did other people in the media. After a while about, I don't know, especially this year and part of last year, uh, he just talked in circles. It was all word salad. And he was never really straight with anybody. And it turns out that's the way he was with the players. And that that building was kind of toxic, really, because no matter what was said publicly, uh, the players didn't respect him that much. They finally realized that he was in over his head. So I think this all changes now. If you look at the staff, it's a a veteran collection. And I think a combination of having a young GM who's had – his experience so far with one of the greatest franchises of all time and the Chiefs uh, coming in and then plugging in veteran coaches, I think that's all going to mesh pretty well.
1: Are you optimistic about the Bears' future? I mean, next year we're talking about $100-plus plus million in cap space, potentially building yeah. more around Justin Fields. Does to- that excite you?
0: Well, I think next year he's going to go on a spending spree. Uh, uh, this year I, I wouldn't get excited. I don't think they're a playoff team, but I think you'll see flashes – of, uh, of development. I think it'll be enough to keep the fan base happy. Uh, as much as players, uh, excuse me, as much as fans bitch and threaten to boycott and this and that, they're all <laughs> going to show up. They're all going to watch every game. They're going to use their tickets. They're going to spend concession money, parking money. Um, there's no way that a real bears fan or a real NFL fan, any team for that matter, is going to shut off the TV or not go to the game because he's just upset about the way the team is performing. We're obsessed with the National Football League. We can't live without it.
1: Why do you think that is? Why is the NFL more prioritized compared to NBA or MLB?
0: I just think it's just the nature of the game. I think uh, it still appeals to the uh, the gladi- gladiator and everyone, even though the rules are changing rapidly and players are being protected. Uh, I just think the drama every day just the nature of the game and the nfl has become the preeminent sport and the distraction for everyone in our country because you really really don't know it's very seldom that you can go chalk and pick every game um it's amazing that the worst team in the league can actually beat the front runner on any given sunday that cliche you know that movie title um it's true. Uh, they developed a product where you have to actually watch the game. And it is so exciting. It's very militaristic the way it's, it's set up. I, I think it just, it appeals to everyone on 500 different levels. And so now that that gambling is integrated into this legally, oh my God, forget about it. <laughs> These bets are ridiculous. You can make bets throughout the game. You can change your bet. You can bail on your bet. It's nuts. And I love the ratio of betting commercials in your face to the little disclaimers or the little public service announcements that say, if you have a gambling problem, contact so-and-so. I think it's like a million to one. You know, they cover (laughs) their butts with a little disclaimer, but it's a dangerous proposition. People need to be careful because it is addictive.
1: Have you ever bet a game before?
0: No, I don't. I'm not a betting person. I have an addicted personality and uh, I have to be aware of that. Um, I am not a betting man. I don't gamble. I really don't know anything about gambling. I was never good in math. I don't get the terminology. I have been offered to do a podcast with a, with a gambling professional who's, who's locked in, who, who's a really good odds maker. And I just felt like I, I, I'd be an idiot. I'd just be deferring to him all the time. I was more than willing to do the commercials and promote them but it's not something that really interests me i don't get that extra juice um by watching a game or a lot of my friends will say it's so much more exciting when you have money on it well it, it's exciting enough for me so i'm glad i don't bet because i would lose the house every week sure. <laughs> yeah you know, i and when i was working i always feared that i had too much information it would be very confusing and you know now that i'm a casual fan It's like, you know, when you make your uh, NCAA picks, you go by the mascot, their colors, or where you went to school, um, people making Super Bowl picks, uh, invariably, people who aren't a football fan will pick a team just because of its logo or nickname or some weird, some weird thing like that. And they win. They might up winning with no information at all. So, yeah, I don't need to have money on the game to be excited.
1: (laughs) What to come with G and Greco in just a moment. Stay tuned. This is Sports Talk Chicago. Mark and Greco still here on Sports Talk Chicago. Mark a few more questions before we finish up. First off, the Bills. What do you make of their off season?
0: Uh, I I think they're five hundred million dollars over the salary cap. <laughs> it, it's unbelievable. <laughs> Brandon Bean went nuts. Um, I think he's got some sleeper picks, uh, Jamison Crowder, who was the jets leading receiver for the past three years who nobody knows about because he was on the jets. Uh, I think that's a good move. I'm glad Cole Beasley is gone. I thought he was a very selfish player. He refused to take a pay cut. He divided the locker room because he was an anti-vaxxer and I was sick and tired of Josh Allen throwing little five yard ins and outs to him with no runs and no yards after the catch. Um, so I kind of soured on him. So I'm glad they got Crowder. Um, you know, they picked up a couple other guys that I think are gonna be rock solid. They brought back Shaq Lawson. Uh, that defense was not good last year. I mean, it was better than most, but uh, for a team that should be going to the Super Bowl with Josh Allen and that offense, they had no pass rush whatsoever. I think they absolutely overpaid for Vaughn Miller at this point in his career. Six years, 120 million. Which you'll never play that long, and you'll never see all that money. Obviously, because, as you know, NFL contracts, most of them are not guaranteed, uh, unless you're a, uh, you know, a guy who's been charged with 22 civil counts of sexual assault. Then you get the most incredible guaranteed deal of all time. Boggles my mind. But I think Von Miller's an expensive third-down pass rusher. We'll see how that pans out. I mean, obviously, I hope he does great. Everybody wants to go to Buffalo. It boggles my mind. Number one, because of Josh Allen, but when they get there, everybody made fun of Buffalo, small market, rust belt city, blue collar, not, not very exciting, not very glamorous, not very worldly. Uh, when players get there, I I mean, um, drew Bledsoe went off on that, you know, when he lost his job with the Patriots, they eventually sent him to Buffalo. He's like, oh, my God, I don't want to go there. He got there, fell in love with the city, fell in love with the fans. Every single player who's gone to the Bills has had the same experience. The fans are absolutely spectacular. I'm biased. I'm prejudiced. Yes. But even before there was a thing called Bills Mafia and people were jumping off RVs and smashing picnic tables, (laughs) Uh, the Bills fan base was incredible from day one in 1960. And – You know, I I didn't care much for the NFL at all as a little kid growing up. It was all about the AFL and evening up those Super Bowls and Joe Namath and Hank Stram and Lenny Dawson beating the NFL. That's all that mattered to me because a more colorful league, uh, a much more exciting league, uh, a league that actually drafted and signed black players from historically black colleges, which had never happened before. So that fan base has been ravenous. Yeah, it's a small city. It's finally starting to make a comeback and, you know, young people are moving downtown and gentrifying the city, even though they're about 40 years behind all the other cities that have done that. Um, every player, I don't care if they played in LA or New York or whatever, they get to Buffalo and they can't believe how great it is, how great the city is, you know, the restaurants, the bars, moreover the fans, blue collar, rough, tough attitude. A lot of people were out of work. They still managed to pay for their season tickets. And they love the fans and, uh, and the fans love them. I have a cousin who um, had season tickets and still does first row right behind the Bills bench. And he was in a rock band called the um, Blue Lights. And he hung out his banner advertising the band when they used to allow you to do that in stadiums. And all the players loved him. And he was the greatest guy in the world. He was also a cook and a chef and he would cook for all the players after the game out in the parking lot. And he was a political activist and he ran the campaign of Phil Hansen, a lineman who eventually went on to become a state Senator. So, uh, my cousin was so locked in. He had his license plate says bills one and Ralph Wilson, the late owner actually asked him if he could have the plate. And my cousin Sammy said, "Win a Super Bowl, and we'll talk about it." He <laughs> refused to the owner the license plate. So, I'm so proud of the city. I'm so proud of the team. It's so exciting to have somebody to root for. You know, I was not born or raised in Chicago, so I feel like uh, for 40 years of covering the Bears, I could be a little more objective. I've never been a homer, but if you want to talk about the Bills, I, I am just a the ultimate homer who is really blind by loyalty. How close do you think they are to a Super Bowl? Well, obviously, they have enough talent. They could win it this year. They really need to win it this year. You know how small these windows have become. Uh, If they don't win it this year, they have to win it next year. I think they really do. I think, barring any kind of injury, and he seems invincible at this point, Josh Allen's going to have some spectacular numbers, and he'll have a Hall of Fame career regardless, but... I think Brandon being in the front office and Sean McDermott as head coach, they are rock solid and they're locked in for the long haul. And I don't know, but I, I have a feeling it's got to be this year or next. They really do. If they
1: do win, how do you plan on celebrating?
0: Oh, my God. Well, I'll be there. I'll get tickets. <laughs> I'll call in every favor. Maybe I can get somebody to slip me a press pass. Uh, all my high school buddies and I, we will all be there. It will be tailg- tailgating. And we'll be squirting each other with mustard and ketchup, and we'll be jumping on tables. And, you know, even at 70 years old, I think we're still nimble enough to uh, party hard.
1: Mark, before we finish up today, last question. Why would you cry when your son won the MVP in the state hockey tournament?
0: Well, you know, that question was posed on Twitter. What was the last or what was the greatest sporting event that actually made you cry? Well, being in the business, I never really cried at any sporting event I was covering. Um, I certainly cried when the Bills lost four Super Bowls, but that uh, that was a different kind of cry. Um, my oldest son, I, I'm blessed to have three tremendous sons who were great hockey players, and they were all great players. Uh, they played triple-A, traveled all over the country, traveled, you know, some of them went over to Europe and played in tournaments all throughout Canada and everything. Had great experiences, great bonding on the road with my guys. And my oldest son was on uh, that powerhouse New Trier team that won five straight state championships. And his senior year, you know, he was one of the better players on the team. They're playing Fenwick at the United Center, which was so awesome. They're so great of the Blackhawks to host the state hockey championship. And now it's become a thing and the games are televised, no less. Um, So there are almost 10,000 people at this game. And, you know, my son goes out there and gets a hat trick and a couple of assists and they blow out Fenwick. I think it was 10 to one. And he was named MVP and I got to pose with him on the ice with both his trophies. And I I was just a basket case. I was just bawling my eyes out. I couldn't control myself. I was Troy Murray and and, uh, Judge Surratt actually did the game and my mother got to see it in Florida because she had had cable, of course, and it was on, what was it on? You know, there was Sports Vision, Sports Channel, Fox Sports Net, then it kept evolving, NBC Sports, Chicago, everything else. I think at that time it was Fox Sports Net. She got to see her grandson. I was just beside myself. I mean, this is 2002 and obviously it's your son it's you know it's your flesh and blood and all three of my boys you know just when they take the ice and it, you see the name on the back of their jersey and you know i always try to be a good hockey dad and not get too crazy And uh, you want to live vicariously through them but you need to back off let them be coached. don't ever talk to the coach don't be one of those Annoying hockey parents. I think I was a little out of control with my first son. I got better with the second. I think I was great with the third. So you learn how to be a hockey parent. But that moment, I mean, I was the between period guest on the telecast, and I got to watch the game from the Zamboni area. So I was on the glass the whole game. And again, you see your son perform like that. It was just, and then, you know, he wins MVP and they win another state championship and then he goes off to Harvard. I mean, where'd this kid come from? You know, <laughs> you know luckily his mother was super smart.
1: <laughs> Mark, thank you so much for joining me. Always a pleasure to talk with you. Best wishes in retirement. Now it's really great to have John, you on
0: very much, but uh, you know, if I get bored, I'll just give you a call. <laughs> That's perfect. You're
1: You're welcome. Anytime.
0: Thanks. Good luck to you.
1: Right talk there with Mark G. and Greco, and that'll do it for us today here on Sports Talk Chicago. Big thank you to Mark G. And Greco himself, Matt Dubia, WCKG, Jim DeTolvin, to Marlboro Entertainment for making this show a success. Remember, you can follow me on Twitter and Instagram at John Z Sports and on Facebook at John Z Kluo. If you want to watch more of this show, search up Sports Talk Chicago, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, YouTube, sportstalkchicago.com. Another great show comes over tomorrow. Thank you so much for listening. Till then, stay safe. So long, everyone.
0: No! No! Where are the turtles? No!